Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. We talk a lot about intentional living on this podcast, but very rarely do we actually dive into the reasons why frugality can be a form of very intentional living. It can be from necessity or it can be from choice. But regardless, frugality is a really big part of a lot of people's lives. And I don't think it has quite a good reputation like it should. I think a lot of times we shun it, we naysay it, we think it's, you know, almost like a bad thing. But really, frugality is such a great way to view your finances. And that was one of the big messages that I learned from today's guest. Before we dive into today's guest and all of her awesomeness, I have to share with you a really great money win. Speaking of intentionality, this is going to be perfect. This money win comes from Madge. She says, my washing machine died this week called someone to fix it, and they charged $125 to come out. Turns out it was a drain pump, and they would charge $489 to fix it with parts and labor. Similar LG washer is $1,000 at Home Depot. Watch some YouTube videos. Turned out the drain pump is $26 on Amazon. Took almost two hours to install, but it was not complicated. Those two hours plus the three 10-minute YouTube videos are well worth $489 or even $1,000. Total cost to fix, $151.01 plus up to three hours of time. Either way, it's a hashtag money win for me. I am crazy proud of you. I think that's so, so smart to just leverage your existing resources and opt for figuring something out instead of immediately shelling out 500 bucks. Like way to go. That's super, super awesome. I know that's actually something I've been wanting to do more in my life. I'm a big DIYer, but I love the idea of instead of immediately opting for convenience, forcing yourself to kind of figure something out as a problem solving tool. I'm about it. I think it's a cool way to go. So I am really proud of you. Congrats on your money win and your savings, my friend. That's super, super cool. Let's talk about today's guest, Kristen. Kristen is founder of thefrugalgirl.com, which is a blog focused on helping people save money with green living, reduced food waste, mindful spending, and buying super high quality stuff that lasts. She also encourages others to live with more intention. In this episode, we talk about how Kristen became passionate about frugality. Growing up in a non-money centered home, what that was like for her, the ins and outs of homeschooling. She's a rock star at this stuff and has been homeschooling her kids basically since day one. It's really, really incredible recognizing Kristen's own problem with food waste and learning how to be more frugal with food. We talk about the environmental impacts of food waste. This was something I had no idea. We dive into some of the shocking amounts of money that the average person wastes on food. Blew my mind, you guys. I cannot believe how much money we threw away on average. It's crazy. We talk about her food waste reduction course. I love that she has this offering. I think it's really, really cool. And I would highly encourage you guys to check it out if you're drawn and you're compelled to reduce your food waste. It's a really inexpensive course that I think will have a really high impact. We talk a little bit about her experience with her blog growth and starting to make money from it. Secrets for blog success for all my bloggers out there. You're going to love her tips and how to stay inspired with blogging and even ways that she makes money from blogging. This was such a fun episode. It talks about all things that I think are really important, building a business, reducing your food waste and intentional living. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. But before we dive into Kristen and all of her awesomeness, let's go ahead and hear a quick word from today's sponsor. 
there's a lot of pressure on small businesses to hire the right person because when you're a small business, your team is usually pretty tiny, right? One wrong move can actually hurt your entire company. And that's why I'm really excited to tell you about Indeed. I've been talking about Indeed for a little bit now. You guys know it's such a powerful tool, especially for people that are trying to find quality candidates, because let's be real, historically hiring can be a huge pain in the butt, but not in today's world when there's really amazing companies like Indeed. Indeed.com is a hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. This is the coolest thing, you guys. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help you show great candidates instantly. So you're only seeing the people that are actually relevant to your job. So you can do the part you really need to do faster, which is meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there's no long-term contracts whatsoever. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of really great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined according to Talent Nest. Want your quality shortlist fast? Then you need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash money nerds. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash money nerds. Indeed.com slash money nerds. This offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, now back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by one of my friends, Kristen from thefrugalgirl.com. Kristen, thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you for having me. I am stoked to chat with you. I We initially met through FinCon, I believe it was. Maybe, I think I met you through the mastermind first. <gasps> the mastermind then, was first. Yes, and then we met each other in person at FinCon. I love that. That's the beauty of like online world is you get to know people. So when we finally did meet, I felt like I knew you forever. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast too. I always think that when I meet people from the internet, I'm always amazed at how not weird it is. Like the fact that you can be friends with somebody online and then you meet them in person and it's completely unweird is weird. (laughs) It's so strange. I know It's, it's a beautiful thing though. I think it's really, really cool. I'm kind of curious for you you write about frugality and you've been doing this for quite some time and that goes into green living and cooking and all kinds of stuff, even homeschooling. But I'm curious for you, did frugality come from a necessity or a curiosity? Um, I would say it's both. I think it's kind of in my blood, but also when my husband and I got married, we did not have more than about two pennies to rub together. (laughs) So, um, it really was kind of a necessity for us to save money, but because it's sort of kind of in my blood, I didn't look at it as something miserable. I was actually kind of excited about the challenge. So that's not to say that there haven't been times when I felt like, oh, this is so much work. I wish we had more money, but it wasn't as hard for me maybe as somebody who is a little bit less naturally frugal. Mm-hmm. That's totally fair. Tell us a little bit about how money was talked about when you were a kid. Um, So my parents didn't do a whole lot of talking about money, actually. Um, uh, I grew up in sort of a middle-class home, um, and my parents provided us with everything that we needed. Money just was not talked about a whole lot. My parents aren't very materialistic, and so maybe I picked up a little bit on that just 
um, from living with my parents rather than from what they told me. It's kind of like they say when you're teaching somebody that things are more caught than taught. <laughs> and so I think maybe a, a lower materialism mindset just is something that I picked up from my parents rather than something that they sat down and told me, this is how you should do it. I love that. When you met your husband and you guys decided, hey, we're going to combine lives and get married, was he on the same page with money or was that ever a struggle for you guys? He was basically on the same page. He would tell you that he is naturally much more of a spender than I am. But when I met him, he was working on paying off a little bit of credit card debt that he had. He was big on um, having an emergency fund and um, he had listened to some radio personalities I don't know if it's Dave Ramsey, maybe Larry Burkett about how you should divide up your budget. And so we're, even though we have a different spending personalities, philosophically, we were sort of on the same page, like, okay, well, we don't want to have debt and we want to have savings, et cetera. So our personalities are different, but our goals were basically the same. So that helped. That's amazing. How long have you guys been married now? Um, 24 years. Holy crap. Congrats. <laughs> That's yeah, incredible. I was 19 when we got married, so I just got an early start on things. That is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we when we first met in person, we were talking, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm this age." I'm like, "Get out of here!" Like, <laughs> you were like 30 something. Like <laughs> you just look so young. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that though. And then you guys have four kids, and we you do. did you homeschool all of your children? I did. Yep. Yep. Um, so the oldest is. 21 and the youngest is almost 15. Um, so my two older kids have graduated now and so I'm just homeschooling the younger two um, who are in high school. How did you learn about homeschooling in general? I could imagine I don't have kids but if I did that would seem like a very appealing thing but a very overwhelming task as well. So I had a leg up on this because my mom homeschooled me and my siblings. And this was back in the 80s when homeschooling was super duper unusual. Um, so I did go to kindergarten at a regular school, but from then until college, I was homeschooled. So for me, that was really easy because I already knew how homeschooling worked. So when we had kids, it was like <laughs> just not nearly as much of a challenge as it would be for somebody who had never been through the process. And when I met my husband, even though we didn't have kids yet, obviously, he was interested in having his kids be homeschooled. So that was kind of a non-discussion for us. We were both on the same page already. That's so awesome. Okay, walk me through. The homeschooling thing is so interesting to me. I think I likely would want to do that with my kids as well in some some capacity, like traveling around the world, taking them to these really historic places and letting them learn firsthand. That like sounds like the dream. And of course, it's a little utopic. But how does it <laughs> normal, right? Like, yeah, doesn't everybody want that? <laughs> um, but how does it work from a homeschooling perspective? Like, is it how many hours a day? Like, how, give me like a basic structure of how you do this. Uh, that depends so much on what age the kid is because mm. kindergarten is completely different than when you're a senior in high school as a homeschooler. So you have a little more flexibility and freedom, I think, when the kids are little and school doesn't take nearly as many hours when they're little because you're just working with one kid at a time. You can get kindergarten done in like an hour a day. That's like awesome. <laughs> it really doesn't take long at all. Um, and as my kids have gotten older, um, their schoolwork has become more demanding, so it's taken them more hours per day. Um, but the amount of time it takes 
it all depends on how hard you work because you are the only kid in your class. And so if you want to goof off and not be focused, then you might not be finishing your school until late at night. But if you are organized and focused, you can get it done and then you're done for the day. Then you have free time. So I really like that as a homeschooled kid that the amount of time I spent on my schoolwork was up to me. If I wanted to work hard, that meant there was a reward in the form of more free time. <laughs> so that that was really motivating to me. Whereas when I went to college, like you have to sit through the class no matter how much you pay, you're, how much you're paying attention, it still takes an hour and a half. Um, so I like that about homeschooling. The flexibility is great. I agree. I think that would be a really good way to teach kids discipline and accountability and time management. Like I just think about how, how a lot of times, I don't know, for, for me, all of I, public education, a lot of that was just trying to train yourself to keep your butt in the seat and try to focus instead of, you know, get your stuff done and then you're done. I, I really like that that mindset. I'm so drawn to homeschooling for that reason. I think it's really interesting. Yes, yes. Being able to move around and do kind of, you have more control over your day so you can decide what order you want to do your subjects in or if you want to work ahead so you can take Friday off it really, it's almost like being an entrepreneur, you know, like yes. when you have your own business, you can kind of decide how you want to set things up. And to some degree, when you're homeschooled, you have some freedom in how you want to set things up, how you want to schedule your day, the order you want to do things. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that has really helped me as I funneled into being a homeschooled student and then being an entrepreneur. There's some overlap there, I think. Yeah. So with with your website, thefrugalgirl.com, when did you officially start that? Was that in the process of like, I already have kids? Was it before kids? Like, when did that start for you? So I started that when I already had all four of my kids. My fourth one was born in 2006 and I started The Frugal Girl in 2008. So my youngest was two at the time. <laughs> um, so I started a blog first that I ran for about four months before that. It was about food waste at a horrible URL. My URL was www.confessionsofarecoveringfoodwaster.blogspot.com. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yes, I knew nothing about blogging at that point. Um, so I blogged there about food waste um, for a couple of months. And then it was like, you know, I really like this blogging thing. But I felt like the topic of food waste was just a little bit too small. And I'd been living frugally for a long time. And people were always like, oh, Kristen, you should write a book. And I was like, I have four kids. I'm homeschooling them. How would I write a book? But I was like, you know what? I could write a blog because a blog is way less overwhelming than a book. You can write it all in little bite-sized bits. Um, so, so I scrapped the food waste blog, kind of rolled that into thefrugalgirl.com, and then I've been blogging there ever since. That's incredible. I didn't. Yeah, your first domain was quite lengthy. <laughs> I know I really went from a long one to a short one and I don't even remember coming up with the name for my current blog I have no idea what my thought process was behind it I don't think I thought about it very hard but now I'm Man. I'm, I'm committed to it at this point <laughs> I think it's so interesting so you were blogging before blogging was cool like it was like everybody has a blog today it was not a lot of people doing that at that time so how did you even know what the next steps were this is a kind of new territory so blogging, it, I don't know, there were some blogs at that point. I know I'd read um, The Simple Dollar mm -hmm. and Money Saving Mom, 
was blogging at the time. Um, so it, it, the idea of blogging occurred to me because I had read some other blogs and I was like, you know, I think I could do this. I've always liked writing and um, I don't know, it just kind of appealed to me, words and pictures together, put it out there. Um, and I had initially started blogging for my own personal accountability because I wanted to work on my food waste. And I thought, well, if I shared this with the world, then that would be some public accountability for me. So, but yeah, mainly I was inspired by seeing other people blogging. Talk to me about the food waste thing. You've mentioned this a few times. So where did your passion for this come from or, or how did it even come to realize like, hey, this is a problem for so many people. How did that come about? So that came about because I was throwing away a lot of food. I've been living frugally for a long time because we had to, um, but somehow I hadn't really made the connection between like trying to save money and also trying to not throw moldy celery away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one day I was cleaning out my fridge and throwing away all this bad food and I was like, oh my word, I would be so embarrassed if everybody who knows that I'm so big on saving money could see that I was throwing all this food away. And then I was like, that's it. I could show everybody what I'm throwing away and then the public embarrassment will inspire me to work on this. So it really was inspired by me wanting to um, save money. So as I got into it more, I started learning more about how this is a problem for more people than just me. And I started learning more about the environmental impact of the food we were throwing away. But initially, I was just like, this is an embarrassing waste of money and I need to stop doing this. Mm -hmm. For sure. So it started out of like, this is crazy. And then I'm going to put this out there for public accountability slash shame. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel that. I think a lot of people do that with their journeys. Like, I'm going to put it out here because I need that accountability. Um, yes. Yes. Man. If you know somebody's going to be seeing what you're doing, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that's motivating for everybody. Maybe sure. some people are more internally motivated. But for me, the public accountability, it definitely works. I think it helps too because I, I what I've noticed with blogging specifically is the community that you build is so supportive over the years that they're never – shaming you or criticizing you or I mean not very often occasionally you'll get yeah. that hater or two or three but for you probably more than others because you've been doing this for a while but even then people are generally pretty supportive have you found that with your community uh yes um I know that there are parts on the internet where people are not very supportive but within my own community on the frugal girl people are really nice um I haven't had a lot of trouble with people being unkind. It's just really a very supportive place. And I think when it comes to the topic of food waste, I mean, there are some people who, who will be judgy about it, but the average person throws away food. <laughs> like This is yeah. not an unrelatable problem. <laughs> Almost yeah. everybody struggles with this. So I, I think that um, helps it to be not an overly embarrassing thing to share because odds are anybody who's seeing this has also found moldy vegetables in the bottom or or has bought something with good intentions and then not eaten it or has let leftovers sit out. <laughs> Aspirational grocery shopping is what I call it. You go to the grocery store and you're like, I'm going to be healthy and you buy 50 vegetables <laughs> and then you bring them home and you don't eat them. 100%. I feel like you're like looking in my fridge right now. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm so guilty of this. Um, so in general, 
I think we all understand that this is a problem. You mentioned the environmental impact. Can you give, if somebody has no clue what that might look like, can you paint a couple little pictures of what the environmental impact might be? So there's a lot of resources that go into producing food. And if we use those resources to produce the food and then we don't eat the food, those resources are wasted. And when you throw away food, it goes into the landfill. And a lot of times people think, well, it could just decompose there. Mm-hmm. Well, Kind of. (laughs) There's not enough light and not enough air for things to really decompose like they would in a compost heap. But there is enough that allows them to decompose enough to produce some methane gas. And food waste, I believe, is the number one producer of methane gas in landfills. And methane gas is not good for the environment. So from start to finish, food waste is not good for the environment. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. I, I don't think people often think about that either. We usually are, because you're right, like immediately in my head, I'm like, okay, so it goes and it decomposes and that's like whatever. But no, you're right. Like there is a lot of costs that go into producing that food. There's a lot of environmental impacts from that perspective. I think it's really interesting. When you started to pay attention to food waste, do you know roughly like how much money you were throwing away each week? I don't know, because a lot of food waste is sort of hard to quantify. If you throw away a cucumber, then you know, okay, I paid a dollar fifty for this cucumber, I threw it in the trash. That's a waste of a dollar fifty. But if you waste a serving of lasagna, like Right, right. How much did this lasagna cost? I don't know. (laughs) It's really confusing to calculate. So it's kind of like if you're trying to count calories, if you just eat things that are like a banana or a cucumber, it's very easy to calculate. But once you get into something like lasagna, it's really confusing. So yeah, I don't I don't know. There's there's estimates about how much the American household, average American household wastes, and they vary some, but even the lower ones are around the twelve hundred dollars a year range um, for an average American household. So obviously there's variations. Some houses waste more than they than the, than other ones do. Um, and those numbers are just for household waste. They're not um, including things like restaurant waste or grocery waste or anything like that. That's what that's what we are responsible for wasting in our own homes. That's so much money. Like literally, that is an emergency fund. That's investments. Like that is a ton of money. So how do you how do we start to do? You have like a couple favorite tips for approaching food waste and how to reduce that amount. Um, yes, I have a whole course about it, but <laughs> a couple of quick ones. Um, use clear containers in your fridge mm-hmm. because if you can't see the food that's in your fridge, you're not going to eat it. So clear containers are super important. Sometimes I have Pyrex containers which have um, a clear bottom but then an opaque lid. So sometimes as long as the container is not going to leak, I turn it upside down in my fridge so that I can see what's inside of it. Because if you just open your fridge and you see this sea of Pyrex lids, that's not very inspiring. But if you turn it upside down, you're like, oh, I have this in here and then there's some cheese. And so being able to see things is very important. Also, going through your fridge regularly. I recommend doing this every day or every other day. Just take five minutes do a quick fridge sweep. So when you do a fridge sweep, you want to get rid of anything that is rotten, like you're not going to save it, just get rid of it, because otherwise it's going to cover up your good food, just throw it away. Um, And then take a note about what needs to be eaten and move the stuff that needs to be eaten to the front of the fridge. Because again, Mm. if you can't see it, you're not going to eat it. And leftovers and other stuff that you want to eat, it just somehow seems to 
migrate to the back of the fridge. You know, totally. your newest stuff is in the front. And you're like, oh, a brand new package of strawberries. And you eat those instead of the stuff that's in the back. So going through your fridge regularly and making sure the stuff that you need to eat first is put in the front is huge. Tell me about the course. I love that you offer this. I think it's such a cool offering in general. And I mean, even if it can save me 500 bucks per year, I'm game. <laughs> like Anything that can save me money, <laughs> sign me up. So how did you create the course? And tell us a little bit about what people can expect from that. So it's a pretty short course. It's just four weeks and you get um, a module emailed to you twice a week um, because I like to be efficient and <laughs> because I don't like long things or and I especially don't like long videos. Each of the modules is really short. So you get a little challenge for the day and you can either read it or you can watch the video. Um, I have some printable things to help you keep track of what's in your fridge um, and what needs to be used up. Um, so it's four weeks long, so you get eight modules. Um, and if you're wasting $1,200 a year on food, then <laughs> buying yeah. a $50 course is going to save you lots of money. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I think it's such a good thing to do. Is I, I don't think anybody's been really formally trained on food waste. Like it's just something we shame ourselves for and like, oh, I shouldn't have bought so much stuff. I'll do better next week. But we rarely have a strategy behind that. So I'm really glad that your course is out there and helping people take control of that environmental and financial impact. I think it's super cool. Yeah. And one of the things we talk about is that food waste is such a common problem and mm -hmm. it's really hard to get rid of it entirely. So I don't even think that that's a very realistic goal. When I first started mm -hmm. fighting against my food waste, I was really trying to get it down to like no food waste at all. It's possible, but man, the amount of effort that takes is just insane. But if you are wasting $1,200 a year on food, even if all you do is make progress with 50% of that, that's still significant. So I think it's just, it's much more sustainable to try to reduce your food waste rather than to eliminate it altogether because it's hard, you're gonna fail, and then you'll be like, oh, I can't do this, why, why even bother? <laughs> I'm just gonna give up. So I think, even for me, I've been fighting this for so long, I still struggle with discouragement, like, dang it, I knew better than that, I shouldn't have left that in the back of the fridge, but like, mm -hmm. that's okay, I can learn from this, I can move on, I can keep on trying, and all the effort that I've put into this isn't isn't for naught. I've wasted a lot less food over the last 12 years than I would have if I wasn't trying. So improvement oh. is better than perfection. Agreed. And I won't even tell you how much food waste I know I have done even in the last week. So I, I totally feel this. I think it's a really, really good tip. Um, your course, just so everybody knows, is going to be linked in the show notes. So if you want to sign up for it, go take the course, learn about food waste. It's such a huge piece of your financial life that I really want you guys to take advantage of that and to try to do just a little bit better and save some more money too. It's such a killer way to go. So let's talk a little bit more about blogging. We talked about environmental food waste. We talked about your inspiration behind starting the blog. With your blog, when did it start to generate some actual traffic, actual meaning like more than 5,000 views where you're like, oh my God, like it's more than just my mom reading. How did, <laughs> how did that happen for you? Um, so there wasn't really like a moment that it happened. It's been just pretty consistently, steadily growing. I remember the first time I was so excited that 20 people read my blog in a day. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so when I started, I didn't have any huge 
goals or aspirations or expectations about how many people would read my blog, which was actually in retrospect super helpful because if I had had these expectations, I think I might have been disappointed. But because I was just like, I'm just going to put this out there and see what happens. Anybody who read my blog, I felt like that was a bonus. (laughs) So a couple years in, a TV station did a spot about me. And that month, I I was with Blogger at the time, which was Mm. the the popular ad um, network at the time. And because of all the traffic from that TV spot, I was like, oh, I have more ad income. I could quit teaching piano lessons and I could Ah. blog instead because I'd been doing that part-time on top of homeschooling my kids. So that was the first month that I was like, wait, I think this could, this, this could do something real. And it was only like, I don't know, I think I made $700 that month, but that was more than I had ever made. And I was like, this is more than just grocery money here. Like this could really change the way I spend my time. And I could, I could just do blogging instead of piano teaching which is great because I liked piano teaching. I did it for 20 years, but it's not very flexible. You have to be there. (laughs) If you have a lesson scheduled, you have to be there for that. So blogging has been great for homeschooling and for having kids because you can really set your own schedule. So I can work, you know, work ahead, take time off, work when the kids are sleeping. And then my husband's work schedules have switched all over the place, super early, super late. He worked Tuesday through Saturday for a while. And so because my job was flexible and the kids' schooling was flexible, then we could just work around the one thing in our lives that wasn't flexible, which is his work schedule. That's awesome. I think it's such a cool position that you put yourself in to be able to do that and to build up your own business and your own income while having four kids, while homeschooling. Like what? It's crazy to me. I think it's amazing that you were able to do all of that. With blogging, what what do you believe is like the secret to finding blog success? Do you have any tips that you would attribute to that? Um, maybe consistency is the best thing that I've brought to this this whole blogging thing. Because um, I always say with a lot of things in my life, I'm just, I'm just a steady plotter. Like mm. I never go super hard with something, but I'm really good at just keeping on putting one foot in front of the other. So that's been really helpful for blogging because I just keep writing posts. <laughs> um, I'm very not perfectionist about them. I like good enough is good enough. I get it good enough and I just, I just publish it and I just mm. keep hitting publish. And so people know that they know what they can expect from me, that there will be multiple posts every week on my blog. And so I think that really keeps them coming back. You know how sometimes you get into a blog and then the blogger just kind of like falls off the face of the earth for six months yeah. and then they come back. <laughs> so then it's it's a little hard to to get into the habit of reading their blog because it just feels kind of unpredictable. So the consistency is good for readers. And I think the consistency is good for me. I don't get up every day and be like, well, should I write a blog post today or not? I just know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a blog post. <laughs> and all of the, the practice just, I think, has made me get faster and, and better at it just because I have published so many posts. I I love that you mentioned consistency. I think that's the key. And everybody hears that and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, consistency. But you're right. Six months in, we're falling off the bandwagon. But overall, I mean, you're publishing a lot of content. How do you stay motivated? How do you find inspiration to write about topics, especially as long as you've been writing? 
Um, I think part of the key for me has been picking the right niche. <laughs> mm. There are all kinds of things that I could write about for six months, and then I would lose steam. But the topic that I'm writing about is something that I really care about. And so I keep being inspired to write about it. So I think that's why, like sometimes the follow your passion advice is not really that good. But I think if you want to write about something or talk about something for a long period, you really have to make sure that it's something that you are actually interested in. Otherwise, you're just going to, you're just going to run out of steam. Mm -hmm. Um, it also helps, too, that my niche is kind of broad. So if I was just trying to write about food waste, I might have run out of topic ideas. But the topic of frugal living, I mean, the possibilities are really just endless. What I could blog about, and it could still fall under the umbrella of, of frugal living. So I think being able to um, cover all kinds of different topics has helped me to not feel, like, stagnant. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good tip because I, I did the same thing when I first started writing and doing like videos and helping people with paying off debt. That's all I talked about. And no joke, after like three months, I'm like, oh, frick, <laughs> I painted myself in a bad position. <laughs> so pretty soon I'm like, all right, let's start talking about investing and saving and other things too. Yeah. And so yeah. I like that tip. I think it's really smart. Yeah. If you, if you want to do it for the long haul, you got to have some some wiggle room. For sure. Do you, so do you do all of your own writing or do you have any content writers you work with? I do all of my own writing. I've had a couple guest posts here and there, but honestly, my readers never like them. <laughs> they <laughs> oh, like you. Never. <laughs> because when I poll my readers, a lot of time, most of the people are saying they read my blog because they like to hear from me. So mm -hmm. that explains why people don't like having other people write posts on my blog because... That's not why they come to my blog. They come to my blog to hear what I have to say in my voice. So yes, I do I do write all of my own posts. I did just start a new series this year where I'm doing reader interviews. So I'm sending um, interview questions to some of my readers who are um, active members of my comment section. So people who read my blog kind of know these people, but not really. So we're getting to know them. So in that sense, those posts, I'm not exactly writing them. I'm just interviewing somebody. But other than that, yeah, all the posts are just for me. That's so crazy. Good for you. That's, I mean, I, I respect how much work and consistency goes into that. So hats off to you, my friend. That is a ton of work for sure. When it comes to your, so you initially started off just blogging and just writing consistently, and then you expanded and now you offer a course and you're doing YouTube videos. Here and like, there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Same. <laughs> I'm Walk not very good that. at being consistent on YouTube. <laughs> it's so hard. Why do you think that is? But you're so good with blogging, but YouTube is more of a struggle for consistency. Uh -huh. I think that's because, like I was telling you earlier, that I am just more wordy when I'm behind a keyboard than I am talking. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it just feels, for whatever, the way I'm built, it's just very easy for me to get things out of my head and out into the world through a keyboard. But it is so much harder for me to get them out into the world with me talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then with the video, there's this extra layer of, well, like, you need to have good lighting and you probably should have showered that day. And <laughs> blogging, you can do at 11 p.m. in your pajamas and no one is the wiser. But YouTube yes. just seems so much harder for me that way. 
And mm -hmm. I'm also, I'm so good at blogging. I can write a blog post in a hurry, yeah. <laughs> but because I'm not very good at YouTube and I'm not very good at videos, it takes me a long time. I have to reshoot things and then the process of editing them together is not, it just doesn't seem very fast for me right now. So I know if I practice more that will change, but yep. I think I'm just more of a natural writer than I am a natural talker. Yeah. I, I think that it's smart that you realize that and leaned into your area. I think so many times in businesses, we try so hard to force ourselves to go down a path that doesn't feel natural or feel super difficult. And you didn't start that way. But I like that you're also pushing your comfort zone. I think that's super cool. Yes, I'm trying. <laughs> it's hard. Blogging, blogging is always going to be my first love. I, I just I just think that's, that's more what I was meant to do. But I know that there are some people that I can reach through YouTube and social media and such um, that are they're just not people who would read a blog. So I do want to help those people, too. But blogging is my main thing. With blogging, too, I always hear those those people that say blogging is dead. It, nobody <laughs> reads blogs anymore. Is that do you find that to be true? Like, give us some context there. I've been blogging since 2008 and. I would say it was probably only a couple years into my blogging journey when I started seeing articles about, is blogging dead? Is blogging going the way of the dinosaurs? So <laughs> people have been saying this for a long time. So at this point, I just have a hard time taking that seriously. So mm. I, I don't, people still read my blog. <laughs> yeah. So at least for me personally, blogging is not dead. For the people who read my blog, blogging is not dead. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, things happen fast on the internet. Things change quickly. But um, people have been consistently reading my blog since 2008. So I'm just not, I'm just not too fussed about it. I'm just going to keep producing content as long as people want to keep reading it. I love it. What's your end game with your, your website? Like, what are you hoping to gain? So like 20 years from now, what, what do you want your business to look like? Oh, that's so hard to know because who knows what blogging will be like in the future. So I, <laughs> who knows what blogging will be like five years from now. So I really don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I just keep, I just keep putting the one foot in front of the other and I'll adjust as things come along. Blogging has changed a lot in the time that I've been doing it and I just kind of roll with it and adjust to it and, and just keep, keep on trucking. So I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here and riding this train for as long as it, as long as it keeps going. Yeah. And then adding in YouTube and courses. So it's like you're constantly expanding your business, but I like that it's fluid enough where you don't put that pressure of like, it has to be my end game is a product. And that's the only thing that I'm going to do by the end of my blog. Like you're, you're kind of allowing it to naturally go in the direction that your audience wants. Yes. And, and also it, it needs to be fun for me too. Mm. <laughs> Because I won't keep doing it if I don't enjoy it. I really like writing blog posts, the process of putting pictures and words together and interacting with people and hearing that I've, I've helped them. Like, that just really feeds my soul. <laughs> so yeah. if I try to turn this into some huge business, it's going to start to feel too much like a job and not enough like yeah. this fulfilling 
enjoyable thing that I'm doing. And the reason I've been able to hang in there for so long with this is because I enjoy it. So I really, I don't want to be like, oh, I need to have this $10,000 a month business or something. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> it needs to be, it needs to feel fulfilling for me to keep doing it. And it's working too. Like this is, I mean, you, you do very well from your website. You've definitely earned it. You've put in the time and energy, but I'm curious for you, how do you, how do you make money from your blog? Like what are, what are your revenue streams there? So my, by far my biggest revenue stream is display ads. So I am a member of Mediavine. They handle all of my ads. So great. <laughs> I don't have to think about it at all. <laughs> they do a great job with it. So that's mostly, um, that's my biggest piece of the pie. Um, I also have affiliate relationships, some of them with individual companies, some of them with Amazon. Um, so I earn money when people um, buy things through the affiliate links. Um, and then I also have my course that I sell. I did an ebook before many years ago, back when everybody was making ebooks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, people don't seem to be doing that that much anymore. Everybody's doing courses nice. now. Instead of ebooks, um, yeah, but affiliate and ad revenue um, are my two main sources of income. Gotcha. And for anybody that wants to start a blog, what's your best tip aside from consistency for them to get started? Like, is there a platform that they should get started on? Is it focus on your marketing? Is it focus on just writing? Like, do, do, what do you think is the most important when you first get started? <sighs> That's such a big topic. There's so many things I could say. I know. <laughs> um, definitely WordPress. Um, there's other, I've, I've seen so many other blogging platforms kind of pop mm. up, and, um, but WordPress has been around forever. So I think WordPress is a really safe option. Um, like I said earlier, it's really important to choose something that you really like writing about. Otherwise you're not going to be able to hang in there. Um, and then I think maybe one other thing I would say is to remember that there's very little pressure when you're starting out. When I talk to people who want to start blogs, they sort of are treating it like they're going to go out on this stage and perform in front of a sold out audience. So it has yeah. to be perfect. Uh -huh. <laughs> but the reality is you're going out on a stage where your mom and your aunt are in the audience. They're, <laughs> they're, the, lucky. Ones, right? they're the only ones who will see what you're putting out there. So this is a great time to practice. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just got to put it out there. And the more you put it out there and the more you practice, the better you'll get at it. So that by the time you have built up an audience, you'll have gotten all those embarrassing first tries out of the way when only two people were in your audience. So, so don't put pressure on yourself. Just it really let that perfectionism go. Just, just keep, keep shipping those posts out there. I love that. I think that's such great advice. Um, wrapping up the conversation on frugal living specifically, when you think of frugal living, aside from like the food waste, what, what comes to mind for you? Like what is frugal living in your eyes? So I think of it in sort of a flexible way. It doesn't need to look the same for one person as it will for another. I think it's about saving money on the things that are not that important to you so that you can use the money for things that are really important for you. Because nobody, well, almost nobody is super frugal about everything, right? right. We all have things that we do want to spend our money on. And so if we can save money in ways that are not so painful for us, then we'll have money to spend on things that are important to us. So I really think it's about making your spending match your priorities. Mm, 
I love that. Kristen, this has been such a fun conversation. For everybody that's just getting started, where's the best place to go? Is it your website, your Instagram, your YouTube channel? Like, where would you think people should start to get to know you more? So always my blog is a good place to go, thefrugalgirl.com. There are links to all my socials on there. And if you want to find me anywhere else on the internet, on any social media, it's super easy because I'm just the frugal girl everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> yep. And probably the place that I'm most active is on Instagram. So if you want to check me out somewhere other than my blog, that's a good place to go. And I am the frugal girl there. Perfect. Kristen, I am so grateful for your time. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure. I will do my best. (laughs) All right. Let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, First question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. I just find them so interesting. So what is your current morning routine? Uh, Let's see. The alarm goes off. Um, I read a devotional out loud with my husband and then we take turns praying and we feed the cat and he and I go for a walk and then we come back and eat breakfast and I do a workout three times a week. And that's pretty much the morning routine. And then school starts with the girls and who knows what will happen after that. But that part of the morning is pretty consistent. Kind of that's amazing. Any devotional books that you are going through right now that you think people should check out? Um, so right now we are working through one by Paul Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies. So it's just a one-page devotional. Um, there's one for every day of the year. Um, oh, sweet. And yeah, we really like it. That's so cool. I love that. That's a beautiful morning routine. What time do you typically wake up? Um, not very early right now. Seven o'clock. Oh, yeah. Same. Yep. It's the winter. <laughs> the winter hours threw me off. Yes. And my husband's working from home right now. So his work time is really flexible. He's well, at one point he was working um, super early schedule. So we were getting up at like 4.45. Um, so oh. seven seems like, ooh, really sleeping in. Seven's like great. <laughs> That's awesome. So luxurious. <laughs> for sure. Okay, next question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to post-COVID? Hmm. Um, I don't have a huge travel bug, but I have always wanted to go to Europe. Somewhere in Europe would be fun. Nothing in particular jumps out to me um, from Europe. But if I was going to go, I've I've never been outside the U.S. except for Canada, which kind of doesn't count. I mean, you're still on the same continent. Right. (laughs) But if I had to choose another continent to go to, I would like to go to Europe. Because once you're in Europe, you can go to so many countries so close together. When you live in America... Like, it takes forever to get to another country. <laughs> it's so true. It really does. I love that. I think Europe would be so much fun. And I hope you go because I would love to watch all of your stories and your videos and your posts about it. <laughs> all day. along. One day. Maybe when we're empty nesters and it's just the two of us, we'll, we'll get yeah. over there. That's your way of celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Oh, get it off to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Knowing you, though, you'd probably bring the kids with. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. We'll see if they still want to hang out with us. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. I'm sure they will. (laughs) Okay, next question for you. What's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Ooh, uh, let's see. I need to think about that for a minute. What have I purchased? Hmm. Can it be a gift that somebody bought for me? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Okay, so for Christmas, my husband bought me a pair of over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones which are great (laughs) because 
I it's really hard for me to find earbuds that feel comfortable inside my ears. I think I just have really small ears, and so they hurt after a while. So he got me these ones. They go over my ears, very comfortable. They're kind of a sign to everybody else in the household, like, hey, mom is busy. (laughs) (laughs) And because we homeschool and my husband's working from home, we're all here all the time, and so it's hard to get quiet. So I really like to put on those earbuds. It really blocks out, or not earbuds, earphones. They block out all the noise, Um, and it's almost like I'm here by myself while I have them on. Love it. Love it. Any specific brand that you're liking? Let's see. These ones are, I think, a Soundcore brand. Um, they're not a super expensive pair. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't want an expensive pair, just just something that will cancel the noise. Um, I'm My husband is an audiophile. He would probably buy the more expensive ones because he would notice the difference. But I'm just like, well, these are comfortable and they seem like they block most of the noise. Good enough for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Good to know. Good to know. I'll have to try those out. I don't actually have a pair right now, so I will look into those. <laughs> All right. Final question for you, my friend. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? <laughs> This will be kind of like the same answer that I have for a lot of things. I think consistency is important because if you go hard at earning extra money or you go hard after the savings or you go hard after the investing for six months and then you quit, you're never going to get anywhere. (laughs) But if you just keep consistently plotting one foot in front of the other, you keep investing, you keep um, trying to have frugal habits, you keep trying to earn more all that consistency really adds up over time. It's like, that's how it is with investing, right? <laughs> the, the key to investing is just hanging in there for the long haul because it takes time to, to build wealth and, and for things to grow. So yeah, I just think consistency is so important for so many different things in life. I agree. That's a beautiful answer. Kristen, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful that you took the the time to come hang out with us and teach us a little bit more about frugal living. Thank you so much for having me. It was delightful. All right, my friends, what'd you think? Did you love this episode as much as I did? I think the part that really resonated with me is exactly how much food we are wasting every single week, every year, every day, and how with a little bit of intentionality, we can become better with that, save ourselves some money, and also have a really great environmental impact. That was the part that really resonated with most with me. And so I'm definitely taking Kristen's course, and I'm really excited to see how I can reduce my own food waste so that I'm not contributing to a bigger problem environmentally. And I'm saving a few pennies, which you know I'm all about on this show. I would love to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this, tag me on Instagram, and let me know what specifically your takeaways were. It's always so fun to see who's listening in, and it really does mean the world to me. I love connecting with you. It means so much. All right, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will see you on Friday for 5 Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.